Pod 616 initiating launch sequence. Superheroes will always spark the imagination of people around the world. With great power comes great responsibility. Face front, true believers. Excelsior! Stand by for Pod 616 launch. Three, two, one. Launch. Godspeed Pod 616. True believers, welcome to Pod 616. It's where you may encounter any myth, legend, or lore in the history of Marvel. From printed page to silver screen to mobile gaming and anything in between. I'm Deacon. And I'm JJ. Pod 616 is something completely different. We hope that you join us on this exploration of everything that is the mighty Marvel. Today is a special episode. We begin a new multi-part series on the legendary Stan Lee. This is Pod 616, Episode 003, The Secret Origins of Stan Lee. I think it goes without saying that most people recognize Stan Lee. Yeah. He's a slight man with a mustache and a grin and swept back hair. And he has these glasses with this, with this bar on top. And you have never seen this man without a grin or a smile. Absolutely. He's an iconic looking figure. And for those of you that uh, may be a little younger, they you may only recognize him as the Marvel cameo guy. Right, he's been in every Marvel movie. Is that right? I think he's been in, if not every single one, almost all of them as a cameo. One of my favorite theories is that Stan Lee was one of the Watchers. Right. Yeah. In fact, they they kicked that up in uh, Guardians Two. Right. Yeah. They kind of made a joke about it. All right. So think back to your first impression of Stan Lee, Deacon. Yeah. Where do you remember him from? I just remember he was the guy with the dark glasses. That's what I always, you know, that's my first impression. That's the guy that makes the comic books that I like. For myself, I can definitely say that my first impression of Stan Lee was from the pages of comic books. It was Stan's soapbox. It was an editorial column. Yeah, uh, He was writing that in the waning years of his tenure at Marvel in the 1970s, 1980s. And a lot of those books were you know, available to me. Some books would begin with Stan Lee Presents. And sometimes there would actually be like an illustration of Stan in the front of the book or at the back introducing the story to the reader. I always have this caricature of Stan Lee as my first Stan Lee. That's that's exactly what I picture, that, that drawn caricature of his face. Now, to tell this story about Stan Lee, we're going to be traveling back, way back, to a more timely era. The story of Stan Lee cannot really be told without first telling the story of Martin Goodman. Okay. Martin, born Moses Goodman, was the oldest son of 13 children of Isaac Goodman and Anna Gleichenhaus. His parents were Jewish immigrants that had moved from Vilna, Lithuania, and later met and married in the United States. As a young man, Martin traveled the country during the Great Depression while living in hobo camps. They didn't have a lot of money. I mean, they were they were poor, a poor family. Well, we're going to see that the Great Depression impacts this story significantly. In 1924, Martin completed 10th grade and entered the workforce as a file clerk for the Eastern Distributing Company. And in 1926, the New York Times printed a help wanted ad from an advertisement from the Eastern Distributing Company. It says, 
stenographer, high school student with two years experience must be able to take rapid dictation and do general clerical work when called upon. Salary, 18 to $20. That's per week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, per week. After four years at Eastern Distributing Corporation, Louis Silberkleit, one of the circulation managers at the Eastern Distributing Company, we're just going to call it Eastern. Yeah. He hired Goodman and assigned him some clients, probably sometime around 1929. Mm. And eventually, Goodman became the circulation manager himself. 1929 to about 1939 was the Great Depression. And a lot of companies went bankrupt in that time. Eastern Distributing Corporation ended up unfortunately being one of those companies and they went bankrupt in 1932. Right. So the company went under. So Goodman rejoined Silberkleit as part owner of Mutual Magazine Distributors and he became the editor of another Silberkleit company called Newsstand Publications, Inc. Okay. Now Goodman's first publication was a Western super novel magazine uh, marked May 1933. This title was renamed Complete Western Book Magazine for the second issue in 19. 1933 from July. And this title would become Goodman's longest running pulp magazine. Now, Martin Goodman was a businessman, right? Right. As a businessman, your goal is to make profit. And his means to make profit was publishing. So let's kind of focus on this for a bit. His main business strategy involved using different corporate names for various publishing ventures. The newsstand publications would publish various titles under different names. Red Circle is the one that we see a lot on the Western books, Star Detective, and other pulp novels. And this was a tactic that a lot of those companies used back then. The idea to sell magazines is that you need to be on the racks. And I think one of his ways of being on the racks was to, by producing all of these magazines with different company names, it created the appearance that he was a publishing empire. Giant. Yes, right. So he was inflating his presence on the market and taking up more rack space so that he could move more pulp. Yeah, move in paper. Yeah, exactly. Now, Goodman really watched the trends at the time. If Western books were selling, he would flood the market with Western stories. If the Western market seemed to ebb, the detective story started selling a little bit, he would cancel all the Western books and flood the market with the detective books. I mean, it was a it was a pretty good strategy if you think about it. I mean, this guy just wanted to sell stuff. Yeah, he was trying to move paper, yeah. Now, if he felt like the trend was up, he would shamelessly copy and flood the market with that trend and and like i said you know earlier he wasn't the only one that did this at the time not at all this was kind of the trend on what everyone was doing but while some other creators were innovating and creating new things that was not what martin goodman was about he was about whatever somebody else is doing successful i'm just going to copy that because i'm going to sell more magazines so get this goodman was one of several investors in mutual magazine distributors along with Silverclight and some other investors on may 11th 1935 the new york times reported the schedule of repayment that had been filed against mutual magazine distributors Mm -hmm. uh, schedule of repayment is the order and the amount to which a bankrupt company or a company filing bankruptcy must pay its debts off in what order. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. So again, Great Depression, these companies are not lasting. Right. And Mutual Magazine is filing for bankruptcy. The top three creditors were Trojan Publications, owned by Paul Smaplider, who is the former owner of Eastern Distributing Company, which also went out of business. Harry Donenfield, a publisher and business affiliate of Shade Publications. And Shade Publications were a freelance provider that were providing contract services to these publications. Mm -hmm. Clancy Publications and Newsstand Publications. Now owned entirely by Goodman. Okay. So Goodman owned the piece of Mutual Magazine Distributors as an investor and was now on the schedule of repayments as his old business was going out of debt. The close affiliation of these company owners and these debtors suggests that the men fabricated this financial crisis in order to escape financial responsibility for contract services. <laughs> I mean, rather than pay the guys they have contracted, they they bankrupt their company and just start another company. Rename it. Yeah. Now, in 1935, Goodman formed Red Circle Magazines. Now, remember, his strategy was to publish lots of books under several companies. Red Circle would produce more than two dozen pulp titles. All-Star Adventure Fiction from 35 to 37. Complete Western Book from 35 to 37. Mystery Tales from 38 to 40. Real Sports Star Detective. The science fiction title Marvel Science Stories. And the Jungle Adventure title Kazar in 1936. Now, these weren't comic books, per se. These were pulp magazines. Yeah. The cover would feature a painted title, and the inside, there would be several short stories. There might be comics inside, but it wasn't a comic book, exactly. From a publisher's point of view, changing the title name kind of makes sense, especially if the title didn't sell well in a given month. You just keep running the same book. You change the title, and now people think it's another book. Yeah, and they buy it. That's the only thing they cared about. In 1939, Goodman published his first comic book, Marvel Comics. Okay. It was under the business name Timely Productions, and it featured the first appearance of Carl Burgo's Human Torch, Paul Gustafson's costume detective, The Angel, and it was the first publication of Bill Everett's Namor the Submariner. <laughs> That's cool. It, there's also Al Anders' Western Masked Rider yeah. and a Kazar the Great story. The contents of these books were were subcontracted out from Lloyd Jackets Funnies Incorporated. The initial print marked uh, October 1939 sold 80,000 issues. That's a bunch, man. That's a lot. Yeah, and those sales were strong enough for Goodman to order a second printing marked November 1939, and it sold, JJ, 800,000 issues. <laughs> So Goodson knew he had a hit then. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So one month later, he reprints it. It sells 10 times as many. Yeah. And now remember, this is Goodman. He sees something that's good. What does he do? Double down. Yeah. Marvel Comics would become Marvel Mystery Comics with the second issue. And it carried that name until issue 92. Okay. Daring Mystery Comics, Mystic Comics, Red Raven Comics, and The Human Torch all appeared in 1940. Now, Goodman, like we said, he knew he had a hit. He started assembling an in-house staff so that he would not have to outsource the contents from Funnies Incorporated. So Goodman formed a new division in newsstand publications called Timely Comics, Inc. And in late 1939, he hired writer-artist Joe Simon to be Timely's first editor-in-chief, coordinating the assembly of comic books. Yeah. Instead of using 
Funnies Incorporated as a packager, they would source art and stories from freelance artists and writers. Joe Simon brought along his frequent collaborator, Jack Kirby, and Sid Shores. Yeah. Goodman also hired his 17-year-old nephew, Stanley Lieber, as a floor assistant. Okay. Lieber would make sure that the artist's inkwells were filled and some did some proofreading. He erased pencil marks from finished pages, and he brought sandwiches up. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby famously created Captain America. The first issue dated March 1941 and featuring Cap punching Hitler in the face. It's an iconic picture. It was sold in December 1940, one year before Pearl Harbor. Now, a young Lieber got a chance to write text filler story for Captain America number three titled Captain America foils the traitor's revenge, but he used a pseudonym. Now, soon Captain America was selling one million issues a month. Wow. Joe Simon asked for a percentage of the profits, and Goodman must have agreed somewhat, but Joe Simon was not satisfied that Goodman was actually going to follow through. Now, given what we already know about Goodman, I actually believe that he welched on that deal. Honestly, what do you think? I definitely think that he welched on that deal. In 1941, Martin Goodman was charged by the federal Trade Commission with misrepresenting the contents of his publications. Goodman seems to have had a catch-me-if-you-can relationship with the law. So, Simon started negotiating with National Comics, and he negotiated a combined $500 per week salary for himself and Kirby. At Timely, they made $85 and $75 per week each, so it was a raise. This was a big raise. When Goodman found out about their plan to defect, he told them to leave after they finished Captain America number 10, which means that Joe Simon was editor-in-chief of Timely Comics for less than a year before he went to National Comics, which would later become DC. Yes. And Goodman replaced Simon with Lieber, a 17-year-old kid with one year's work experience in the Timely offices, now editor-in-chief of Timely Comics. So picture this. You're this 17-year-old kid. Your co-workers have just left. You have done some touch-up work and kind of watched what they did in the office for a while. And now you are editor-in-chief. Responsible for an entire division of a publishing company. I wonder if he succeeded. Could be. But if he did, it wasn't under the name Stanley Lieber. Well, that's all the time that we have on this episode, 003, The Secret Origins of Stan Lee. Do you have characters or creators that you want us to profile? Tweet us questions, comments, ideas, complaints at POD 616. You can join us on Discord at discord.gg slash UMCOC. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Just search for POD 616. This is a brand new show, so please like, subscribe, and review. And by the way, JJ's publishing the shooting scripts for each episode with lots of extra content that we find during the research of the shows. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash POD 616. The scripts are posted weekly with the shows and they're available to everyone for free. But if you love the show, help us pay for the thing. One dollar a show is cheap, right? Next episode, we continue with 004, The Secret Origins of Stan Lee, Part 2. Until next time, true believers. 
Pod 616 was written and produced by JJW and Deacon OTR, and is a member of the UMCOC Podcast Network.